You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's time to wake up with the morning boys on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning and welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Morning Boys with your host, Ryan Hickey here. We appreciate you tuning in on this Monday. Hopefully everyone had a great, great weekend. And it was not only just a gorgeous weekend, which obviously, especially now with uh, obviously everything going on, it makes it a little easier to be stuck at home. It makes it a little easier when everything's shut down and really our lives are put on hold that at least, hey, the weather's nice. We can get out of the house, maybe do, you know, do a few social distancing activities that we couldn't have done when the weather is cold or when the weather is raining. So at least, you know, it's a little bit of a morale booster, at least for me personally, I was a lot happier and my mood was a lot higher. Um, even though my weekend didn't change, I didn't really do anything crazy. Um, but at least having that nice weather, having the sun shining, having some warm weather, um, at least definitely does help. Um, obviously, obviously, again, considering the situation we were in with coronavirus taking a hold on this entire country and really the entire world. But it was definitely a welcome sight to have some, for once, some spring weather um, which we have not gotten a lot of recently. So that was definitely nice. And not only was this weekend just gorgeous weather-wise, I mean, we had sports. We had some live sports to watch. How about that? I mean, sure, it was some obscure sports that maybe you, you normally wouldn't watch um, when everything else is up and going. You had Bundesliga soccer, which I'm not a soccer fan at all, I'll be completely honest, um, Not let alone German soccer. But, hey, I tuned in for a few minutes. It was something to watch where the outcome is unknown. You had NASCAR resuming yesterday. Um, you had a golf um, charity skins game going on yesterday. So slowly, now emphasis on slowly, but we are starting to get back some sports. We'll have the PGA Tour go off in a few weeks here, which is going to be really the first American sport to return, which is going to be just fantastic, fantastic news to, again, get some normality back in our lives, kind of get that rhythm back to what we're used to seeing. And hopefully the other main sports, MLB, NBA, NHL, can kind of follow suit, and we will slowly, maybe by July, mid-July, get somewhat of a normality in terms of a sports schedule back and get used to getting that routine of watching games and watching some big-time important games. So fingers crossed that we're making um, strides, we're making the right steps here because it is definitely encouraging to see whether it's German soccer, whether, again, it's NASCAR, whether it's golf, um, whether it's... (laughs) Honestly, horse racing, which is probably the sport that I've watched the most since quarantine, because that's really one of the few sports that actually have gone on. Races have gone on. TVG, I'll say this real quick about TVG, a free, a shameless plug. They're not paying me to say this, I promise. If you're an NFL Red Zone fan, if you like the action always being constant, where you go from one game to another, touchdown from one game, boom, let's go to a third down in an important game um, right away after that. So there's really no lull in the action. There's no commercial breaks. There's no boring time for the most part. It's always action all the time. That's essentially what TVG is. They go from horse track to horse track, whether it's Tampa Bay Downs, whether it's Churchill Downs, whether it's out in Santa Anita, and they just go from race to race to race. It is, it's wild. So I'll say this, the last few weeks, I've definitely taken a lot of my time um, being locked on TVG for sure. Um, but it's, again, it's nice to have some, some sports back for sure. We do have a great show for you planned here on this Monday. The Last Dance. It has come and it has gone. Really, talk about you know having some semblance of, of a sports 
um, viewing experience, right? Where, you know, where you watch the big game, you see everyone on social media watching the same game. It's nice to have a group watch, right? Especially now with the Netflix era, um, where with everything on demand, essentially, it's all about binging. And, and really, for the most part, we don't have too many experiences, too many shows, too many times when all of us are watching something in real time at the same time. And at least that's what we got with the last dance these last five Sundays. So the finale was last night. Episodes 9 and 10 will give you our takeaways to start the show in just a little bit. But also kind of building off of that, we concluded and we saw the ending of the Bulls dynasty there in 1998. So the question I want to pose and kind of throw this out there is, who is the better dynasty, the Bulls or the Patriots? Both have a lot of similarities, what we'll discuss, but who is the better dynasty in their era, the Bulls in the 90s or the Patriots these last two decades? We'll discuss that in just about 15 minutes or so. We, did, we hit on a little bit on Thursday, and I kind of want to get back into it because I feel like I didn't, honestly, I didn't feel like I didn't do justice. Um, I talked to him about the Blake Snell sound when he was on Twitch and basically ranting, raving that he's not playing in 2020 unless he gets his money. He was upset that he even had to take a pay cut um, to begin with and have his salary prorated. And he wanted this big ramp of basically saying how if owners want to slash our salaries again, if they want to go to 50-50 revenues, I'm already on 2021. I'm already thinking my next year, this year is basically done in his mind. So I kind of want to discuss and break it down. I'll play the sound in case you haven't heard it. And also, too, and this really sparks a debate. Players versus owners. Whose side are you on? Because one of the two is going to have to cave. The owners want the players to take a second salary cut. The players do not want to do that. Well, in order for baseball to return, which... I, like everyone else, want baseball to return. I'm not advocating that the players strike and basically die in this hill. But it does basically prevent a side where are you on the owner's side where the players should take it or are you on the player's side and push back to these billionaire owners saying, hey, we've already taken our cut. It's time for you to take your cut. We're all sacrificing here. Um, and if we want to get baseball back, it's time for you to kind of bite the bullet on this one. We'll discuss which side I'm on, players or owners, uh, and get your thoughts as well. We have intriguing teams. We were halfway through. So we got basically the most... Uh, the, or I should say the least intriguing, the most boring half of the NFL. So now we will go from 16 to 13, which, again, now we are in the top half of the rankings, uh, top half of the bracket here for the most exciting teams heading to 2020. Speaking of 2020, 2020 Apocalypse, again at 1020 as always. Um, we have a new winner. So Nick was the, the leader for the first week. And then Lauren on Thursday gets four out of five. I'm not going to lie, there are some complaints about some, some questions being easy, some softball questions. We'll try to make it fair. We will declare a possible new champion today as we will get uh, get some contestants. So if you want to compete, Facebook, World of Sports Radio Network, Twitter at WWSRN underscore radio. Reach out. Shoot me a text if you want. If you want to participate, let me know because the list is starting to build. People want to want to get on here, try to win some money and compete. Um, so we'll do that again at 1020. And finally, Friday, almost a Friday news dump. But so the NFL, um, Jim Trotter of the NFL uh, media reported that the NFL has a proposal on the table that owners will vote on tomorrow that would incentivize teams for hiring minority head coaches and general managers. So if you hire a minority black coach or uh, a Latino general manager, you can actually get a bump in your draft stock and actually basically get rewarded for doing so. We'll discuss why the intention is good. Something has to be done. The intention is good. Just the application here, and it's being delivered the wrong way. We'll discuss that. But like I said, last night was the uh, the finale of The Last Dance, episodes 9 and 10. Really put a capper on this entire Bulls dynasty. Again, highly highlighted by Michael Jordan. We saw him through 1997 and really focused a lot on 1998, that last push, that last dance per se of how that got over the Utah Jazz for the second year in a row. So let's do it. Our final edition. Ooh, a little coming in a little hot there. Of the last dance takeaways, six takeaways for the six titles the Bulls won in the 90s. Um, how about this? 
because again being someone who wasn't really alive and could remember Michael Jordan I was born in 1984 so really right in the middle of the run but by the time they won in 1988 I was four so really have no recollection no memory of Michael Jordan and that Bulls dynasty so it's all about secondhand right it's all about reading it's all about watching documentaries like this and learning that way through secondhand experience so how about this a tale that we've talked about really everyone's been talked about I think everyone this is the first time they found out the Jordan flu game right that, that's something we always kind of um, throw about there we kind of joke about just Anyone, anytime anyone is sick, it's always recognized, oh, man, this is my flu game, right? It was so famous for how he played so well, despite having the flu, despite not playing good. How about the flu game wasn't so? It's not the flu game. The food poisoning game, which definitely, I'm not going to lie, makes it a little less uh, impressive, a little less exciting, but that's crazy. You get food poisoning by eating pizza um, from a pizza joint that, I mean, Michael insinuates that they did something to the pizzas. Five delivery guys showed up to the, uh, the hotel when he was staying in Utah and did something to the pizza to where he is just feeling awful. He wakes up in the middle of the night, throwing up, just fluids going everywhere. He feels he can't keep anything down. His mom is telling him, don't play in this game, despite being game five of the finals. This, you know, this is a huge game. And to come out and not only play the way he did, play well. I think the amount of minutes is more impressive than the actual amount of points. He played over 40 minutes. Can't keep anything down. He's barely, you know, he said he slept all day in his bed. Couldn't get out of bed. Barely, you know, makes it to, uh, to, the, to the arena to get on the court. And then you watch, last night, you watch the, the documentary, you watch some of the film that they put on there. I mean, in timeouts, you hear whether it's teammates, whether it's the camera and, and the audio, or excuse me, the video that we see. I mean, every timeout, it's like, how is he going to get up? You heard Bill Wennington talking about how, you know, he would sit down in the timeout and basically just shut off. You know, like he would be so exhausted so gassed that he would just basically shut off going to a little hole for um for essentially the, the duration of the timeout and then all of a sudden the whistle blows all right time to get back on the court and there he goes and he just wills himself to kind of get back out there and and, and continue to play it and play at a high level and you saw after they finally at the end um they get the win in utah and you see like he holds on to scotty pippen as he's walking off the court he can barely walk just shows how impressive it is and I'm not, I'm not trying to compare myself to Michael Jordan, I promise, because obviously that is a comparison that will never, ever compare. But I know what he was feeling. There was one time a few years ago, I had a similar experience, whether it was a, a flu bug, whether it was po- food poisoning. I mean, a lot of people have gotten food poisoning. So you know what it's like. But it's like you can't keep anything down, at least for me, for my experience. It was every 20 minutes. I'm in the bathroom, can't keep anything down. All night, I didn't sleep. Um, could barely, you know, I wasn't even allowed to really drink water. I was basically eating ice chips for what felt like forever, um, probably just about 12 hours or so. So it's like I've experienced, and again, a lot of us who have food poison or eat something bad know what it's like when you can't keep anything down, you can't sleep all night, and basically your entire day consists of you getting up, going to the bathroom, coming back, laying down, really not falling asleep, getting up, going to the bathroom, coming back down. I mean, I took off. I'm trying to think. I think I took off the next three or four days from work. I mean, I'm a radio producer. I sit in a chair like I'm doing right now. I don't have to go on the court in the finals going against, you know, um, a great team trying to get my fifth championship in a huge game on the road. It's just, it makes it just that much more incredible when you consider how you feel and then to be able to perform at the level he has. And I think it's very telling to your Jerry Sloan, the head coach of Utah after the game, basically being like, he was sick. He had no clue. Michael Jordan was sick from then. Everyone thought the flu. Now we know it's food poisoning. It's wild that he played that well at that such high level. And really outside of his teammates, no one really knew um, truly how sick he was, at least on the court. You couldn't tell um, that he was sick at all. So that was just impressive. And it's also interesting, too, quickly, 
Um, a lot of people are trying to debunk this food poisoning story. I've seen a lot on social media last night and this morning basically saying that there's no way this is true. There's no way that if this actually happened, you would basically keep it under wraps for 25 years and then just basically tell it now. I mean, I have no reason to not believe Michael, to be honest. So I, I'm going forward, considering it's the food poisoning game. Um, good to know if you're ever in Utah, probably avoid the pizza, especially if you're an important person that you know, Utah fans uh, don't like, I would definitely say avoid the pizza for sure. But that's incredible that, you know, the story and, and this legend that we've for so long known to be one way actually was different. And the way he played was just impressive. Uh, number two, I said this kind of after watching the first two episodes of the documentary and I, after watching the finale here, I will double down on it. I have a tough, I, there's no way the Bulls would have won six titles if they played in this day and age. And I'm not talking about style of play or... You know, and they didn't shoot the three enough or, again, just the way they played or even trying to insinuate that the NBA nowadays is a better, tougher league than it was back in the 90s. That, that's not absolutely what I'm saying. I'm talking about the drama and the media scrutiny that surrounded this team from the start of the dynasty to the end of the dynasty. It was massive then. Look at now. Look at, the, look at what social media does alone, how it can affect teams um, and really put a lot of pressure on them and really almost divide teams. Think about it. Just... A few weeks ago, in the beginning of the quarantine, right, when really this, when the coronavirus reached the NBA, we saw Rudy Gobert was the first person to test positive, shut down the NBA. Then we find out that Donovan Mitchell and a few other uh, Jazz teammates have tested positive. And there was a rift between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert because Donovan Mitchell didn't feel like Rudy Gobert took the coronavirus seriously. And, you know, you can see basically he's trying to blame Rudy Gobert for starting this and spreading this and not taking care of himself, which just got the team sick, which just canceled the league. And there was some legitimate talk and legitimate worry for a few days there that, oh, the Jazz are going to have to break this up. Can't have Rudy Gobert and you can't have Don Mitchell on the same team. They, they you know, Rudy is that, I mean, uh, Donovan is that upset with Rudy that you got to break him up. Sorry, the coronavirus, you got people sick. This is going to be what ends the Jazz run here or this, this little uh, um, run they're making. Got to break him up. And obviously, they, they've been able to mend those fences and come together for at least right now. But and there's some there, there's some thought there's some stories out there that are already talking about some trade partners for the Jazz. Oh, Rudy's got to go. Would you keep Rudy? Or would you keep Don Mitchell? There's already that discussion. So imagine nowadays when you have all the drama the Bulls have, and leading up to episodes nine and ten last night, right? You had basically Jerry Krause, the general manager, going out before the 1997-1998 season, saying no matter what happens, this team can win every single game this year, win a sixth title, go undefeated, have the best record in NBA history, have the best season in NBA history. It doesn't matter. He's not coming back and him being Phil Jackson. So they're having a new coach no matter what. Michael Jordan was saying, if Phil's not my coach, I'm not coming back. So you're having a superstar. The, probably, arguably, the, the greatest sports figure, most legendary sports figure, most recognizable sports figure in history, saying, if Phil's not the coach, I'm not playing. I'm still in my peak. As you know, they, they won their sixth and final title that year. They end on a high note, and basically, MJ walks away. You had... The Scottie Pippen drama, whether he's getting surgery, going to that final season late because he's upset about his contract. He's upset with the front office and like Jerry Krause. So you had that drama. You had basically the entire team hating the front office and fueling themselves for their hatred of the front office. You have that disconnect. Uh, you have Michael Jordan's gambling. Obviously, remember going into that Knicks series after they go down 0-2, and I believe it was 1993. You have a lot of people questioning, you know, Michael Jordan, is this a distraction? Is he doing too much here? What the hell is he doing? Is he focused? And then last night... He had it revealed that Dennis Rodman, during the 1997 finals, in between, um, during the finals, after a game, goes up to Detroit, goes to 
uh, attend and be a participant in the NWO wrestling. And then misses practice the next day. Dennis is not there. A lot of questions are being asked. In the middle of the finals, where is one of your most important key guys? Not at practice, and you see him on TV again in Detroit um, the day before a finals game um, because he's out there, again, doing basically what Dennis Rodman wants. And then you saw when, he, when Dennis Rodman returns, well, the meat is dying to ask Dennis, what's going on here? What are you doing, man? And you saw the, uh, the Bulls had to basically sneak him out of the back way, sneak him out of the back of the arena um, to avoid talking to the media before, before the game. So just the media scrutiny then was a lot. Now, especially with social media, with 24-7 sports talk in basically every major city, I would have a tough time with all these distractions that went on outside of the court, off the court. I think, honestly, the pressure would have been too much. I think the scrutiny would have been too much. There would have been too many questions. And that's why I don't think the Bulls would have, would have won six titles. It's not about MJ's talent. It's not about the team's talent or even about the competition they played because they went through some road graders. The Utah Jazz were a great team. You saw how long it took for the Bulls to get past the Pistons in the early 90s. They played some great, great teams. So it's not about that. I just think the distractions paired with social media the way it is today and the criticism and the scrutiny that you get on a day-in, day-out basis, I think it would have been too much. It would have broke the team. I don't think they would have won six titles for this day and age. So you can imagine the final title. Right? They beat the Jazz the second year in a row, finished the second three-peat in a row, get that sixth and final title. To me, that was the most impressive finals championship of the six. Out of the six, number one for me ranks 1998 Utah Jazz. Because you look at the pressure. Right, They're at five. This is it. This is They're going for six, but not only are they going for six, this is really their last chance they're going to have to play together. As we saw, you know, the documentary is titled The Last Dance because the 1997-1998 season was titled The Last Dance for them because they realized this is it. Fellows, no matter what we do, no matter if we win every game, no matter if we lose every game, we are never going to be on the same court again together. Phil Jackson's never going to be the coach with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and all the rest of the pieces um, together in Chicago. So you have that pressure right there. This is it. We have a great run. We have a great core. We're, it's not up to us. We're not breaking this up, but because front office is jails because Jerry Krause wants some credit, he is forcing this breakup no matter how well we play. So that, there's pressure right there. You can talk about Michael Jordan throughout the documentary hitting on the physical toll that winning five and up to that point, five championships and then six championships is, the emotional toll. Because each year you win, it gets more, it's more and more harder. It doesn't get easier. Right? Think about it. When they win that first title, they were always the hunters. Or I'm sorry, the hunt, the hunt, the hunters. Yeah, the hunters. Jeez. They were the hunters, right? They were going after the Pistons, finally cleared that hurdle, finally got over them. They beat the Lakers to win their first title. They were the ones with the chip on their shoulder. They were the ones that were coming after the top. Now, all of a sudden, they are the hunted. And that's so hard to do when you are now everyone gunning for you. And not just for one year, for eight years in a row. The Bulls were the team to beat. Teams were building their, you know, their roster, their nucleus, to beat the Bulls, to beat Michael Jordan. When you have that much pressure, when that much attention on you, year in and year out, it gets harder to win, not easier. So you have that physical and emotional toll of playing that many games that late in the season, and then having everyone gunning for you year in and year out. It's exhausting. So now you go into the sixth and final uh, title in 1997, 1998. They beat the Jazz the year before. The Jazz are back now. And Jazz were a great team in 97. They're even a better team now in 98. And they're hungry. They're better. And you hear the Bulls are just out of gas. They're exhausted. You saw in that Pacers series that went seven um, to go to the finals in 1998. I mean, they got past that. It's a tough physical series the Pacers really pushed them around the Pacers weren't intimidated so you have a really really grueling Eastern Conference Finals you have a Jazz team that's not only well rested motivated 
because they realize what happened last year. They want to get revenge. They want to be the ones to knock Michael Jordan and the Bulls out. They want to be the ones to send them out um, on their own instead of having the Bulls leave on their own terms. So you have all of that. And then not to mention, you have Scottie Pippen getting hurt, hurting his back in the clinching game six. And again, that was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And the last two minutes, what Michael Jordan did, impressive. On the offensive end of the floor, the defensive end of the floor. So for me, with everything kind of, you put everything together, right? You put all the circumstances up against each other. The 1998, the sixth and final title the Bulls won, by far, by far, the most impressive out of the six. Um, so credit to them. Speaking of that, we'll, we'll stay here as a fourth takeaway from the 1998 finals. A big talking point, a big conversation point, a big debate. Did Michael Jordan push off on Brian Russell? I hope last night answered that question, kind of finally put the dagger um, or the nail in the coffin on that. No way he pushed off. I I'm sorry. You, you can kind of t try to put it however you want, um, video-wise, angle-wise. He didn't push off. Jordan, and you heard Jordan talking about it earlier, going back to that 1997 season, uh, 1997, excuse me, finals, when he knew Brian Russell played on the ball of his toes, and if you juke one way, all the momentum is going to take Brian Russell one way, and he can go the other way. So you use that information kind of in the back of your head. And the documentary did a good job of putting that in your head back in 1997. And then all of a sudden you go back to 1998 and there you go. There is that move where he goes one way, fakes, pulls up at the fruit line and hits it. He didn't push off. His momentum was going that way. And his hand, I mean, if you look at his hand, his hand made contact with his hip. There's no denying that. But it wasn't a forceful shove. If there was a forceful shove, you would have seen MJ's momentum himself kind of travel to the right. right? He was going left to right goes right, stops, pulls up, hits it. If he was trying to push off, if he had some real force behind that push, he would have went to the right too. You don't push off. You don't use your force and your momentum to want something to go from the left to the right and not fall the same way that your momentum is taking you. Michael Jordan maybe helped himself balance a little bit by putting his, by putting his hand on the hip of Brian Russell. Didn't push off. His momentum was taken that way. It's an incredible crossover. And you hear, you know, Phil Jackson, I was reading an article actually um, on Sunday morning. Phil Jackson was basically saying that once Michael gets the steal, right, now they're going to call timeout, they wave it off, they continue to play. He thought Michael Jordan was going to go to the hole. His legs were shot. Michael Jordan's exhausted. And he realizes that, you know, he took a few jump shots earlier in the game that were short because his legs just aren't there. He's just so tired. So you have Phil thinking, all right, he's just going to go to the hole, try to draw a foul and maybe get a layup. No way he's going to take a jump shot. He's been too short. And there you go. Pulls up at the free throw line, drains it. And obviously, the rest is history. They win that. Two more takeaways here. I'd love to get your thoughts. You know, what was your biggest takeaway of all 10 episodes? I mean, we hit the finale. We now know, you know, the Bulls, the Bulls dynasty of the 90s, um, one of the best dynasties we've ever seen. What was your big takeaway? I'd love to get, you know, your thoughts on either Facebook or Twitter. Um, we'll read those as well. A few mind-blowing stats. Not a real takeaway, but I want to throw some stats at you. ESPN did a great job last time. I was watching um, SportsCenter with Scott Van Pelt after the last dance was over. They have some mind-blowing Michael Jordan stats. I just want to give to you to highlight just his greatness. I, I think we saw right, 10 episodes showing how great the guy is. Here are a few stats I just want to throw out there to kind of highlight that and really nail home the point of how incredibly dominant he was and, that, and why we'll never see a player dominating-wise as great as MJ. So he scored 55 points in five different playoff games. That total, so five different playoff games of 55 points, that total is as many as all other players in the NBA history combined. So there's been 10 games where player has scored at least 55 points in a playoff game. Five of those are Michael Jordan. Five of those are everyone else in, my, in, in uh, NBA history. Incredible. It was how good he was on the biggest stage. And when the game meant the most, he was going to give you his best effort. 
Hitting on that, he went 631 games between three-game losing streaks. Most in NBA history. And that's throughout his career. Playoffs, regular season. Think about that. 631 games between three-game losing streaks. And as we see in the NBA, we watch the NBA now, right? It's a grueling season. It is easy for a team that's so successful, that has won so much already, to get complacent, to rest on their laurels. Maybe take a week off. You know, you're there, you're mentally, I mean, you're, you're physically there, you're mentally not there. Um, you know, long road trip, let's say, you know, you have an eight-game road trip. The last few games aren't really going your way. You're exhausted. You can ch- it's very easy to check out. And sure, the losses, you know, a three or four-game losing streak could build up, no problem. 631 games between three-game losing streaks. To be that dominant, that stay that impressive, that focused, absolutely insane. You know, Draymond Green, second on the list at 431. So 200 games behind MJ for the most between three-game losing streaks. Absolutely incredible. Average the most points in finals history, 41. Think about that, 41 points a game in the 1993 finals against the Suns. Highest in history by far. And here's one that's also crazy. So he scored at least 10 points in 1,041 straight games. Sure, Michael Jordan scored, excuse me, 10 points is really not that impressive. It's, you know, especially for Michael Jordan, probably a horrendous game for him. But I just want to put in context of how hard that is to do, to score at least 10 points in 1,041 straight games. Second on the list, Carl Malone. You know how many he has? And I think this number and the gap is staggering. Carl Malone is second on the list. 675. So MJ almost doubled the second closest to him by scoring at least 10 points in 1,041 straight games. Just absolutely impressive. And the last and final takeaway, overall takeaway, I thought from watching this series, Bulls fans, you have to be so depressed watching, watching this last dance and seeing how it ends and basically seeing what your franchise has gone into. Think about it. So you have the greatest run in franchise history. Up to this point, you haven't had much success. After the 90s Bulls, you haven't had much success. So you're watching this, you see a franchise intentionally destroy their dynasty. And their hope was, all right, we're going to take it down now, maybe tear it down a year too early, so that by that point we can rebuild and then get back to the same level quickly. You heard Jerry um, Reinsdorf, the owner of the Bulls, talk earlier saying that he didn't want to get to what the 90s Celtics were, which they kept Lyra Bird, they kept Kevin McHale, and basically those guys, through injury, in old age, ran down, and the Celtics, for a while, were in a lull because they kind of rode the ship out, and by that point, you know, it sunk, and from there, it took a long time to rebuild. So you didn't have the Bulls want to do that. But at the same time, I think Mike Wilbon said it perfectly um, when he was talking, again, after the, the final uh, episode last night. You play until someone beats you, right? It's kind of the old schoolyard um, pickup basketball mantra, right? You don't leave the court if you win. You stay on until someone beats you. I think that's kind of what, you know, Bulls fans don't have closure. That's why it's so depressing to watch this is because this was greatness. You had Michael Jordan in six titles in eight years. You had no one even come close to touching him. And yet, how the Bulls dynasty ends, how his career in Chicago ends, is not by his doing. It's not him finally losing or someone else taking the reins or a team like the Bulls when they dethrone the Pistons. You don't have a team like that coming through and dethrone the Bulls and kind of taking over the league, right? The Lakers were the next dynasty, a few years later, Phil goes to L.A. and Jack and Kobe. But it's not like the Lakers were the ones who put the Bulls kind of to rest and put that dynasty to rest. The ones who put the dynasty to rest, the one who ended the dynasty, were the Bulls. Jerry Krause wanting to get attention, needing that, uh, that recognition, was the reason that the Bulls couldn't keep going. And you heard Michael Jordan at the end of, of the final episode. He thinks that they could have won seven. He would have signed a one-year deal. 
He would have gladly played again if Phil Jackson was back. He thinks a lot of the other guys, Steve Kerr, Scottie Pippen, he thinks if the majority of the Bulls players were coming back and running back for a seventh, despite already knowing the entire year, 1998 was their final year. This is the last dance. This is the last go-around. MJ said, if you gave us one-year deals, if you let us get one more and basically defend our title, and if we don't win it, all right, fine. The dynasty and someone else beats us. He called it, Jordan called it maddening. Maybe basically, he left at his peak. Think about it. He won three straight titles and he retired. You never see a dynasty end on the doing of your own team. Every dynasty we've seen coming to an end is because someone else has taken the torch from them. Time has run their course. And again, they're, they're, whether it's age, whether it's money, we've seen, uh, again, dynasties end that way. We've never seen a dynasty end basically from self-destruction, self-sabotage. And it really, again, feels like there was no closure. So that's why I think Bulls fans have to be furious because the dynasty was self-destructed. You never even gotten close to getting back to that level. And again, you had the best player and the most recognizable player in NBA history. Leave Chicago, leave, you know, the beloved figure in Chicago, not ending, not ending his career as a bull, not only because of, of a front office issue, but because, again, there was selfishness and, and trying to get some greed and maybe some pettiness there that ended the Bulls dynasty. So that, that was just, I thought, absolutely incredible that that's how the dynasty ends. And that's why it's infuriating if you're a Bulls fan to see how basically the greatest dynasty in NBA history, the greatest player in NBA history, knocked out because they're selling their own doing by their own franchise. So let's get your thoughts. Do you have any main takeaways from the last dance? Ten episodes, a lot, lot, lot to digest. I thought it was awesome, um, so informative, and just so cool to watch. So get your thoughts on your main takeaways. And when we come back, speaking of dynasties, who is the better dynasty, the Bulls or the Patriots? We'll discuss when the Morning Boys, Ryan Hake, return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. It's time to wake up with the morning boys on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. Welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the morning boys with Ryan Hickey right here on this Monday morning. We appreciate you tuning in. Hopefully, everyone had a great weekend. Stay safe, stay sane. And uh, enjoyed the Last Dance documentary episodes nine and ten were last night. A, um, I'll be honest, I you know, talk about a, talk about addiction. Talk about you know, you I, I understand why I feel like you know you always want more. And at least watching this documentary last night, um, I found myself always really throughout the five Sundays always checking the time because it's not I was you know hoping for it to end or hoping to go by quickly because I kept really getting anxiety about having it end. You know, I tune in at 9 o'clock. Oh, this is great. All right, two hours is going to, you know, it's not going to go by quick. All of a sudden, I blink, and it's 10.55, and it's over. Same thing with the next Sunday, and the next Sunday, and the next Sunday. It flew by those two hours, and that just shows how incredible it was. There's so much information there, so much great uh, info, so much great uh, footage that it was just, it was well done, and it was just awesome for at least five Sundays to look forward to something, um, which I I think that's really one of the biggest things, um, at least personally, I've lost without sports kind of, you know, these last two months is that you lose that excitability fact. You look at, you lose that really something to look forward to, which for me, at least that's, I think one of the things I love about sports the most, oh, the big game is tonight. I can't wait to watch it. Or next week, a big matchup in in football or, you know, the, the big series coming up here in baseball. There's always something to look forward to. There's always something next in the sports world, right? There's really never, outside of like mid-July or February, never really a dull time in sports. And at least now we see it. And that's, I think, the biggest thing you lose 
is that ability to look forward to something. So I would just like to thank ESPN and Jason Hare um, for five uh, Sundays in a row. Gave us something to look forward to for sure. So getting your thoughts on any takeaways you have off the last dance. Ten episodes, ten hours, so much great footage, so much great information there on the Bulls dynasty. Any thoughts you have on Facebook, World Art Sports or a Network. Uh, if you're on Twitter at WWSRN underscore radio, tweet us there. Or if you want to tweet me personally, um, Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. So speaking of which, so now that you know the documentary ends, the, we see how the dynasty ends. Bulls win six titles in eight years. The question I thought is kind of, you know, a modern day dynasty, which is the New England Patriots. Different sports, but a lot of similarities. The Bulls and the Patriots each won six titles. The Bulls and the Patriots each have the best player in their sport on their team. Michael Jordan, the best NBA player. Tom Brady, the best NFL player. You both have legendary coaches. You had, obviously, Phil Jackson, one of the best coaches in all of NBA history. Bill Belichick, one of the best uh, NFL coaches in history. You have that great combo that stayed together. So there's a lot of similarities between the Bulls and the Patriots. This is why I want to kind of ask the question, who is the better dynasty, the Bulls or the Patriots? Bulls did it over eight years. Patriots doing, doing it over two decades. Who's better? I'm going with the Patriots. To me, the Patriots dynasty is more impressive, and here's why. Number one, the NFL, it is so much harder as a league, or excuse me, as a team in that league, to build and then sustain a dynasty. There are so many measures in place to prevent this from happening. That for the Patriots to create a dynasty over two decades is what makes it very, very, very impressive. And here are the few measures I'm talking about. Number one, salary cap. You have a hard salary cap instituted where all 32 NFL teams have to reach a certain number. You can't exceed it no matter what. So decisions have to be made. You can't overpay and basically pay everyone on the team whatever you want and hoard talent because guess what? It doesn't work economically. You can't do it. So the salary cap prevents from basically teams hoarding and basically writing blank checks to every single player they want and basically allowing the richest owner in the game to have the best team because he could pay whoever he wants however much they want. So the salary cap creates parity. You have draft picks, and the, the drafting system allows the worst teams the top picks. So theoretically, the worst teams every year have a chance to draft some players that can change the franchise around, and at least even them out. So bad teams don't stay bad. I know NBA is the same way, and, and really every league is the same way. I understand that. But the NFL especially, they, they, there's no lottery system. You have the worst record, you get the number one pick. So draft picks and the drafting system is meant to put and infuse bad teams with young talent to help them turn it around. And really the final thing that I think, at least for the NFL, the measure they put in to really ensure parity is scheduling. Each year the schedule is determined by where you finish in your division. So if you finish in first place, you're playing the first place team. If you're in the AFC East, let's use Patriots for example, they win the AFC East. They play the first place team in the AFC South. From the year before, they play the first place team in the AFC North and the first place team in the AFC West. So you're playing all teams that are on your level. And wherever you finish, that's who you play. So if you're constantly at the top of the standings, you're playing the best teams every year. Those three issues, the salary cap, draft pick, scheduling, are all meant to build parity. Well, guess what the Patriots did these last few decades? They eviscerated parity. They've won 17 of the last 19 AFC East titles. They've won 11 of those divisions in a row. And sure, you want to knock the AFC East, okay, it's not the best. The Jets haven't been able to get their own way. The Dolphins have stunk for the most part. And the Bills, up until these last few years, have, again, have been a laughing stock and really haven't been competitive. Fine. I'll raise you this then. Super Bowl appearances. Patriots in these two decades have nine Super Bowl appearances. And this era alone, and this two-decade run, right, from 2001 to 2019, those nine Super Bowl appearances are alone the most in NFL history. 
Think about it. The legendary Steel Curtain Pittsburgh Steelers teams. The legendary Cowboys teams. And these are in these franchises with the Steelers, the Cowboys, and also the Broncos that have had multiple runs in different decades. This is not, you know, the Steelers haven't just had one good run like this. They've had the Steel Curtain in the 80s, uh, excuse me, in the 70s. And got their two Super Bowls with Big Ben. Obviously, the Cowboys have had a lot of success um, under many different head coaches. Had success in the 90s, success in, in the 70s. They've had a lot of success throughout their existence in Dallas. Same with the Broncos. All three of those teams have eight Super Bowl appearances in their illustrious um, existence. Patriots have done that. Excuse me. Whew. I'm so excited about talking about this. The Patriots have done that in just two decades. So they already own the most Super Bowl appearances in their, just in their decade alone in NFL history. They have 11 as a franchise. And they're tied with the Steelers. Again, a model franchise organization, a organization that's looked on very fondly with tons of success throughout their existence. They're tied with the Steelers for the most Super Bowls with six. So in this two-decade run, they have put themselves and built themselves with the elite of the elite in the NFL. And in cases with the Steelers, the Cowboys, and the Broncos, with Super Bowl appearances, they've surpassed them. So that's in- incredible. When the, and the NFL is built on parity, thrives on parity. They really don't want dynasties built, or else they wouldn't put these measures and these rules in place to basically prevent good teams from being good every year. Bill Belching and Tom Brady, what they've been able to build there in New England for two decades in a row, very, very, very impressive. Now let's go to the supporting cast. Because really, outside of 2007, when they got Randy Moss, Wells Walker had a great year. And they had some great pieces on defense. You had Asante Samuel, Mike Vrabel, Vince Wilfork. Really, Tom Brady has won, and Bill Belichick has won, without a great supporting cast around him. There's been better teams that they've played and beaten. But let's not get crazy. Let's not pretend that Tom Brady and the Patriots have had the best supporting cast, the best team every single year. And Bill Belichick is famous, infamous, for trading any good player with any sort of value at their peak. He always rather trade a, a trade a player a year early than a year too late. Same really with the Bulls dynasty, which is ironic that they rather end it too early, uh, end of the year early than try to drag it out and uh, have a bad year, not make it, and end it a year too late. So, so many good players, especially on the defensive side. Once they got up to a certain level, Bill Petrick just kick him out. All right, you're gone. Let's get some fourth round draft picks and let's draft and let's draft the next replacement. Let's get some cheaper talent. He's been able to get lesser players in later rounds on the draft and put them in and make them winners, make them contributors to where they'll get paid a ton of money. And we, as we see, they don't play for the most part as well outside of New England that they do once they're there in a Patriots uniform. So throughout the two-decade run, it is constant shuffling of the roster. They're not winning with the same core group of guys. Receivers are coming in and out. Offensive line is coming in and out. Defense is coming in and out. The only constant has been two guys, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. The supporting cast has come in, come and gone. It's been rotating, and still, the Patriots for two decades have been at the top of the league, have been one of the elite teams in the league, and again, have won, nine, have won six Super Bowls, gone to nine. And the third and final thing for me, this is the overriding factor for me of why the Patriots are more impressive than the Bulls. Longevity makes it more impressive. The Bulls did it six and eight years. And I'm not trying to diminish that because as we talked about with the takeaways, the more you win, the harder it becomes and the pressure increases. So when you're winning that much in a short period of time, it's a pressure cooker. It's incredible how much duress, how much strain, how much attention is on you when you're winning that much in such a little time. But think about it. The Patriots have won in different decades, beat so many great teams at so many different stages, that to me that's what makes it so impressive. 
I think about it. They defeated, they started their dynasty by defeating the greatest show on turf with Kurt Warner and the Rams. Win that first Super Bowl, boom. They kind of they they kind of take the torch from them. Greatest show on turf had a little run. Now, boom, the Patriots are the face of the uh, of the NFL. They defeat the Legion of Boom. You had a great Russell Wilson um, Seahawks team led by their defense. They smoke Peyton Manning and the Broncos the year before, going for back-to-back Super Bowls. You know, they make a great play in defense. Malcolm Butler there gets the interception, obviously. But they defeat the Legion of Boom. Really, that was supposed to be the next up-and-coming team. The Seahawks were supposed to be the team. They are young. They were uh, energetic. They were great. Always a great sound beat, uh, sound bite. And that defense was young and hungry, vocal, and they let you know how good you are. That was supposed to be the next up-and-coming dynasty. They were supposed to be the ones to take the torch from the Patriots and kind of be the face of the NFL going forward. Well, the Patriots took that torch right back. They beat the next boy wonder. Sean McVay, everyone, you know, at least first laughed at the hire. He was so young. How are you going to do this? All of a sudden, in Los Angeles, he goes there, and the Rams, all of a sudden, this new offense, um, different plays. All of a sudden, everyone's like, whoa, this guy's legit. The Rams are great. We, we need the next Sean McVay. So they beat the next boy wonder. They're home to three points in the Super Bowl to win their last Super Bowl. So they've done that, and they beat the future GOAT. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is the face of the league right now. He, he is the guy. He has already taken the torch from Tom Brady. But let's not forget, before Patrick Mahomes and uh, Andy Reid got over the hump this year, won the Super Bowl, last year at home in the 2018 ASA title game, they were poised to finally put the dagger in the Patriots. They were supposed to be the ones, similar to the Pacers, similar to the Jazz in the, in, uh, in, um, compared to the Bulls. They were supposed to be the ones to put them out, you know, be the ones to take them out and now be the next face of the, of the league. Well, it didn't matter. Pat- the Patriots did what they had to do. They weren't the better, they weren't the better team. Patrick Holmes was the better player, even up to that point. And they still defeat him in Arrowhead in overtime. So going from 2002 to 2019, for me, is why the longevity over that two-decade run has made the Patriots the more impressive dynasty. Longevity without a great supporting cast and basically a constant shuffling of ancillary players around Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And because the NFL is so dead set and made on parity, to be that dominant for that long, to me, is what, what makes the Patriots a more impressive dynasty than the Bulls. So let's get your thoughts on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Uh, if you're on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. Scotty Bonner writes it on Facebook, not even close. Patriots 2001 until still going last time I checked. Reports of our demise have greatly exaggerated. Okay, Scotty, obviously, speaking of our demise, he's a Patriots fan, right? A little bit of homework, but I think he's right. Now, I think he's right with the Patriots having the greatest dynasty because, again, he cites longevity. Started all the way back in the beginning of the decade, and it spans two decades, or uh, beginning of the century, excuse me, spans two decades. Now, Scotty, I'll be honest, and I did a segment a few weeks ago talking about how the Patriots, by not bringing back Tom Brady, by not paying them all that money, are actually in a good spot going forward or in a better spot um, to rebuild and reload to get another, you know, to get another run at it for five or ten years. Now, I think it's safe to say the Patriots dynasty right now is over. Right? I think once you have Tom Brady leave, once you have the biggest on-field piece leave, it's a new era. So the, the dynasty can't continue if Jared Stidham goes and wins, let's say, five Super Bowls in ten years. It's going to be a new dynasty, new era. I think we have to take that into account. Um, but I think he's also right. I mean, I don't think the Patriots are all of a sudden just going to go into a hole and be awful like they were before Tom Brady and Bill Belichick came to town. Scotty Bonner is on board. The Patriots are the greatest dynasty. We have Chris Rodriguez also commenting on Facebook. Hands down, the Bulls. Six, six titles in eight years. 
Nobody ever beat them in the finals. The Patriots have lost and tons of controversy surrounding that team. So Chris, okay, he's going to roll with the six out of six, six finals MVPs from Michael Jordan. No one's ever beat them in the finals. But again, the reason why I'm leading the Patriots is because, so despite their six and three, right? They're six and three, lost twice to the Giants, once to the Eagles in the Super Bowl. I reward teams for getting there. I think it's more impressive that you get there um, and maybe not be as many times, or excuse me, you get there more times, but you don't win as many times than you do if you just win every time you go. And think about it. To, to get to nine Super Bowls in essentially 18 years, it's insane. The Patriots are going to the Super Bowl every other year. And again, in a league that promotes parity, that doesn't have many teams having this long uh, longevity of success and sustained success. So I understand the Bulls, and I'm not saying they were flashing the pan. They were great in that eight-year run. Do not get me wrong. No one could beat them. But at least to do it over two decades, you have so many different opportunities for, for teams to knock you down, so many different um, ways that yourself can, and the team can get knocked down. I reward, even if they don't win, getting to the finals, getting to the Super Bowl, I reward appearances as well. I think it's just as hard to get there, let alone win. I think sometimes we focus only on winning. And don't give teams enough credit for just getting there to get to nine Super Bowls. And again, in that two-decade run, they've gone to more Super Bowls than any other team in NFL history. Not in that time, in history. So you have that much success in just two decades, compared, and you have more success than any other team, more than the Steelers, more than the Cowboys, more than the Broncos, more than the 49ers. All legendary, impressive organizations that have had a ton of history throughout their time. To be that successful already early on, at least to me, is why I would absolutely put the Patriots um, and put them above the Bulls in terms of who has the more impressive dynasty. And that's, that's why I would put uh, Tom Brady over Joe Montana. Everyone wants to cite Joe Montana going 4-0 in the Super Bowl. Fine. Absolutely impressive. I'm not taking anything away from Joe Montana. But think about this. Tom Brady has been to more than double the amount of Super Bowls that Joe Montana has been to. That's the argument I always uh, go back upon when anyone tries to say that Tom Brady had the best quarterback, quarterback of all time. And really the first thing that comes to mind and the one that's thrown around the most is Joe Montana. Tom Brady has doubled and then some Super Bowl appearances that has more Super Bowls than Joe Montana. It is nice and is very impressive. I'm not taking anything away from once you get there winning every time. But isn't it more impressive that you get there? I think about it. For how great the 49ers were, they only went to four Super Bowls with Joe Montana under center. Patriots going to nine is mind-blowing. Nine. Every other year. It's essentially every other year. When you add up the years together and the amount of Super Bowls they've been to. So that's why, at least to me, again, I, I would give the edge to the Patriots over, um, over the Bulls in terms of who has the better dynasty. The same amount of titles. Both have six. Bulls, again, over eight years, didn't lose one finals. Patriots did over two decades. Uh, been to nine Super Bowls, lost three. That's why I would give the Patriots the advantage here over the Bulls. I'd love to get your thoughts. Uh, if you want to comment on Facebook, World Art Sports Radio Network. If you want to uh, shoot us a tweet, WWSRN underscore radio on Facebook. Excuse me, on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter. When we come back, we will do our uh, in- most intriguing NFL teams here, numbers 16 to 13. Actually, you know what? I apologize. We're not going to do that. We might push that back to Thursday show. When we come back, we'll keep it timely. Thursday, I talked about Blake Sell's comments um, about how he's not playing um, unless he gets his money, unless he's you know not taking a pay cut. We'll discuss why, at least I'm on the side of Blake Snell, and it's going to come down to an owners versus players debate. 
Which side are you on for baseball to come back? We'll get to that when the morning boys are running your turn right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. It's time to wake up with the morning boys on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. Welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the morning boys with Ryan Hickey right here with you. We appreciate you tuning in, tuning uh, and listening here on this Monday morning. Hopefully everyone's having a great, great start to your week. And hopefully at least here on the Morning Boys and here on the Worldwide Sports Network, we can make that Monday even better. Get the week started the right way. And we do, again, appreciate you listening and tuning in. Hopefully, again, everyone's staying safe and equally as importantly, staying sane. At least keeping me sane has been a lot of the last dance um, documentaries the last five Sundays. His great, incredible insight that we've gotten into the life of Michael Jordan and into the life of what it's like to be on these 90s Bulls teams when you're going for championship after championship after championship and you see when the, the bar is championship or bust. We can say that all the time. Oh, man, they have to win a title this year. This is the year. But to actually have that pressure on you to win a title every single year with teams gunning for you, with teams building their rosters, it's just incredible that Michael was able to do it now once, now twice, now three times, four or five, Six times in eight years. Absolutely incredible. Um, a lot of credit to him. So we're taking a lot of your thoughts on what you took away. I mean, there is so much information there throughout the beginning of his career, how he gets motivated, um, his gambling, his dad's murder. There's so much that they dive into throughout those 10 episodes on top of just what happens on the court through, uh, through the duration of his career. It's incredible. So any takeaways you have, we're reading those on uh, on Facebook, World Art Sports Radio Network, on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. Uh, if you want to tweet me at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. And also kind of going off of that, really, you, I see a lot of similarities between the Patriots dynasty and the Bulls dynasty. And I want to get your thoughts. Who is a better dynasty, the Bulls or the Patriots? I'm going the Patriots. I think it's more impressive with the way the NFL is built to prevent dynasties from getting started um, from trying to promote parity. Not to mention not having a great supporting cast around Tom Brady over those two decades. Again, outside of 07, they, were, they didn't even win that year. But you had a star-studded team in 07 and really didn't have that outside um, outside of the, you know that year and a half or so. And then the longevity, two decades, going from 2002, 2001, I should say, all the way to finishing in 2018, to me, is what makes it more impressive. Um, and defeating so many different teams and so many different era, so many different teams, I should say, and players that are poised to take the next step to be the face of the league. They, they beat them all. Uh, greatest show on turf, Legion of Boom, Sean McVay is the next boy wonder, the current GOAT in Patrick Mahomes, beat them all. So the longevity over two decades is for me is what, in the end, despite winning the same amount of titles, despite, same, uh, despite having a legendary coach, despite having a legendary lead player, I favor the Bulls. I mean, excuse me, I favor the Patriots. Over the Bulls dynasty, so, taking, so again, taking your thoughts on the better um, dynasty, the Bulls or the Patriots. Um, also, I kind of want to get to now, so we hopefully, and again, this weekend was, a, a, was great, because not only again, was the weather nice, you had sports starting to return, it was a little trickle, right, the faucet just turned down a little bit, you get just enough to get you going, peak your interest, and really get you excited for hopefully a summer that is filled with baseball, playoff basketball, playoff hockey, and that leads, fingers crossed, into an NFL and college football season. 
So we were hoping at least that we are starting to get some momentum to get sports back. And this past weekend, you had Bundesliga soccer in Germany resume. No fans, but soccer played. You had the NASCAR, you had NASCAR returning, had their first race with no fans on Sunday. You had um, a Skins charity match with you had Dustin Johnson, you had Rory McIlroy, you had Ricky Fowler, you had Matt Wolf um, on the course yesterday. And the PGA is supposed to return in about two weeks or so on June 11th. Um, for a real tournament. So you're really starting to have the first semblance of sports. You're starting to really have the first, um, first, uh, what you will call it, excuse me, your first, um, I lost my train of thought. Wow, I apologize. I just completely blanked. You have your first hint, I should say, there we go, of sports actually resuming. And baseball, at least, now is poised to be and is in the driver's seat to be the first major sport back, right? At the NBA, the NHL, MLB. Right now, MLB, their wheels are turning the most to where you can have them resume hopefully by July 1st or somewhere around that. And really, right now, when you read the safety precautions, when you see an outline of a schedule, 82 games, expanded playoffs, right now, the only thing seemingly that could hold up baseball and prevent it from happening in 2020 is money. The players want, don't want a second pay cut. The owners want a second pay cut to try to prevent all the hemorrhaging uh, of cash that's really going out of their pockets right now. And what the owners want is a 50-50 split in revenue, which is something that never happens. In any, every other sport, NHL, um, NBA, and NFL, the percentage of revenue is split between the owners and the players. You know, Whether it's 50-50, whether it's 47-53, there is a percentage where, okay, let's say we make $4 billion, NBA is 50-50. Okay, these players are going to get $2 billion, and we'll, we'll, that's what's going to go into account for salaries. MLB does not do that. And the reason why the players are against it, especially now, is because well, they, don't get, they don't split the revenue when the money's increasing, when the money's coming in and constantly growing. Well, we don't split that money. But now that we're at a loss, now that we're losing money, all of a sudden now the players want – I mean now the owners, excuse me, want to share in those losses. And the players are like, we don't want to share in the losses. And I think that highlighted Blake Snell. So we talked about him on Thursday, but he, I was on play the audio. It's about a minute long. He was on his own Twitch stream on, uh, on Wednesday, and he was asked basically, you know, are you going to play? What, what's your thought on this proposal? And this is what Blake Snell had to say. And as you can hear, very against taking a second pay cut. For me to take a pay cut is not happening because the risk is through the roof. It's a shorter season, less pay. Like, bro, it's... Yeah, man, I gotta, no, I gotta get my money. I'm not playing unless I get mine. Just saying, man, it just doesn't make sense for me to lose all of that money and then go play and then be on lockdown, not around my family, not around the people I love, and get paid way to hell less, and then the risk of injury runs every time I step on the field. So it's it's just, it's not worth it. It's not. I love baseball to death. It's just not worth it. Y'all got to understand, too, because y'all going to be like, bro, Blake, play for the love of the game, man. What's wrong with you, bro? Money should not be a thing. Bro, I'm risking my life. What do you mean it should not be a thing? It 100% should be a thing. If I'm going to play, I should be getting the money I signed to be getting paid. I should not be getting half of what I'm getting paid because the season's cut in half. So there, as you can hear, Blake Snell, the Tampa Bay Rays starting pitcher, very, very against a revenue 50-50 split and very against a second pay cut that would come if the players were to um, were to basically give what the owners want and then take a second pay cut to get back on the field. Now, Bryce Harper, a very prominent name, a very big superstar, backed up Snell. He basically said someone had to say it and that the players don't want to take a second pay cut. And at least for me, when it's going to come down to a battle now, right? Obviously, I want baseball back like every other baseball, uh, baseball fan wants baseball back. So 
I'm not going to die in the hill of the, of the players saying, you know, basically I'm okay with them not playing this year. I think it would be catastrophic for baseball if it is not played this year because of money. If strictly money is the reason why baseball is not played in 2020, the sport is in a huge, huge problem going forward. But as you can see, it's going to come down between the players and the owners. Who's going to budge first? And really, you've got to pick a side now. Who's it going to be? I'm taking the player side. I'm backing the players, and this is why. Number one, they've already made their sacrifice. You heard Blake Stone say it. Back in March, the Players Association agreed to prorate their salaries with the amount, uh, for the amount of games they actually played. So back in March, obviously the coronavirus shuts down spring training. We're not sure how much of a season is going to be played. There's still thought that maybe you can fit in a full season, just push it back a little bit. There's some thought that maybe we'll play 100 games, 130 games, 140 games. Back in March, there's no clue. But the players did with the owners. They both signed an agreement saying however many games we play in 2020, that will be our salary. So now the proposal that's laid out there, 82 games. Let's just say for math and argument's sake, a half the season, right? So now players have already agreed to cut their salary in half. So if you're supposed to get paid $10 million to play 162 games, right now you already agreed and now you'll get paid $5 million to play 82 games. Seems fair. Seems reasonable, right? Okay. You're only going to get paid for the amount of games you play. Fair. But what the players are asking for is that they're not, they're not looking for a pay raise. They're not looking to get their full 162 game check. They're not asking if you're supposed to get paid $10 million and now it's going to be 5 They're not asking to get $10 million. All they're asking is to not get a second pay cut. They've already made their sacrifice. They've took the pay cut. Their salary is halved. So they already did their part. How come now the owners aren't being held to the same standard? How come the owners aren't being the ones that are gonna, you know, being forced to take a pay cut of their own? You know, it's weird and funny because at least on social media, I've seen a, there was a lot of blowback, as you could imagine, because maybe Snell Blake Snell didn't articulate it the best way. Didn't really make it sound good. It did sound greedy. I'll say that. I think the message um, is right. Didn't really, maybe wasn't delivered the best way, but I think his message at the core is correct. The owners right now put this, floated this 50-50 revenue idea out there because they knew the players weren't going to like it. And what they wanted for the, the players to do is basically what they're doing now. Be vocal, be upset, and voice their displeasure with having to take a second pay cut. Notice how zero owners right now. Look around the league. Show me one owner. You can't find one that is speaking out about the revenue 50-50 split. You know why none of them are doing it? Because they see the players talking, and this is what they want. They want the players complaining. They want millionaires complaining about salary. Because right now, as we know, it is tough economically. It's tough everywhere in this country. Because jobs are getting slashed. Pay is getting cut. Benefits are, are, are getting lost. Unemployment's going through the roof. So right now, people are losing jobs and losing salaries. So the last thing anyone wants to hear is millionaires complaining about the salary they're getting. So that's why the billionaires aren't saying anything. They realize, look at the blowback the millionaires are getting for complaining. Imagine us billionaires complaining and trying to cry poor and try to have millionaires take a second pay cut. It would be, the pushback and the blowback would be so strong. That's why the owners aren't saying anything. So right now, at least, it, I understand that right now the only ones speaking are the millionaires that are complaining. But don't lose the fact that the billionaires are the ones that are forcing a second pay cut for their employees. They want to save as much money as possible. They're really the bad guys here. They're the ones who have all the money. They're now trying to you know, cut them off the top and, again, trying to save as much money as they possibly can by forcing their employees to take a second, not, a, not one pay cut, a second pay cut in order to get back on the field. 
let's also not lose the fact that the players are the ones taking the risk here. And here Blake Snell saying he's risking his life. And I know there's been a lot, a lot of talk and a lot of pushback about you really shouldn't put a price on your health. You know, if you either you're scared of your health and you're not going to play or you're going to take the risk and you're going to play. The money should be irrelevant. And this is what I'm going to say because I, I disagree with that logic. You have to have the risk or you have to have the reward worth the risk. If the risk is high, if you're risking getting coronavirus, which especially if you're an athlete, sure, you know, you're at lesser um, – Statistically, you're really not in the at-risk category. Um, you're young, you're healthy. So theoretically, if you were to contract the virus, stats say you should you should be able to get through it no problem. It's not as life and death as if you were um, have pre actually medical conditions or if you're older age. And there's so many at-risk groups that we see that are way more in danger if they get the virus compared to just players. So again, who are at the peak of their physical shape um, and are very young. But it's still a risk. I mean, just because you're 30 years old and the best shape of your life doesn't mean you can't get extremely sick and have lasting effects on this virus. There's still a massive risk going out on the field than playing in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of having not having a vaccine. So you could put all the social distancing um, outlines and guidelines you want in the game. It's not going to help the fact that, guess what? The risk is still there. You still, every single time you walk on the field, have a chance to contract the virus. And if you don't get sick, you're still with your family members. You still risk giving to them, and maybe they're at risk. You have Nationals closer Sean Doolittle. His wife has asthma. And he was saying, I, I personally will be fine. If I get it, I should be okay. But if I get it and give it to her, she's more at risk. So there absolutely is a risk. And sure, you can't put a price on health. I, I understand. If they're taking a risk, you got to make the reward worth it. I don't know any of us that would go to work where our pay has been cut two different times and you're, you're still having to risk going to work, right? I'll speak selfishly for myself. If my pay was cut in half and now my bosses are forcing me to take a second pay cut, it's still just to go to work. And the risk is still high, right? I'm still going into New York City. I'm still coming in contact with some people. So sure, I have, I have a chance. And again, I'm 25 years old. Good health, knock on wood. So theoretically, if I get it, it shouldn't be the end of the world. But we don't know that. And not to mention, it's still, you know, if I don't get sick, but if I live with my parents, what if they get sick? So yeah, it's not worth the risk. If you're getting, if you're getting pennies on the dollar, it absolutely is not the risk. It's worth the risk. At least if you're getting paid what you're supposed to get paid and what you agreed upon to, it makes it easier to swallow, at least in my, in my mind personally. And finally, the reason why I think I'm, I'm well, the reason why I'm siding with the owners, I mean, excuse me, I'm, I'm siding with the players, not the owners, is because owners can make this lost money back. Baseball right now has a very unique opportunity. If they resume, and the NBA will hear in the NBA within a week or two, um, if they are going to try to come back this summer or they're just going to wait till 2020, 2021, and basically cancel the rest of the season and move to next year. Baseball has a chance, if, if NBA does that, to be the only sport played for a very long time. Because right now, I'll be honest, the future of football, I think a season will be played. I have my doubts that it's going to be played on time. So right now, between July and September, at least at the earliest, baseball could be the only sport back for a while. And guess what baseball has been trying to do for the longest time? Cater themselves, market themselves to the younger fan base. There's a huge, huge disconnect between the young audience that is going to the NBA, that's going to the NFL, 
that's not going to baseball. And you see Rob Manfred trying his best, whether it's trying to speed up the game, trying to add more home runs in by juicing the baseball. They're doing baseball is doing so many different different things to tweak the game to make it more appealing to the young audience. Guess what? If you're the only sport back, if we are on July 4th, the only thing you have to watch, the only distraction that's out there is baseball. You're going to reach so many different audiences that you normally wouldn't get that are watching playoff basketball, that are watching playoff hockey, that are you know locked into the NFL network, basically getting ready for training camp and getting ready for the NFL once their season starts to ramp up. Baseball has a chance now to cater to all those different audiences that normally wouldn't watch. So guess what that happens? Guess what? Baseball gets a few fans here and there. You make some life, you know, you, you open up the sport and you present the sport to maybe kids that wouldn't watch it. Or kids who don't grow up in a family that's baseball fans. And now all of a sudden there's nothing else to watch. Ah, we'll, th- we'll throw in whatever game of the week is on. You reach a finale says you, you grow the game and get more fans. You will reap the rewards going forward. Once fans are allowed back, once everything returns to normal, you'll keep those fans. Which means more fans are going to the ballpark. More fans are spending money on tickets and parking and merchandise. More fans are following your social media accounts. You know what that means? More revenue for the owners. And guess what? The owners, the lifetime of the ownership of a team is a hell of a lot longer than it is for players in their playing career. Right? Best case scenario, absolute best case scenario, player has, they have an insanely great Hall of Fame career, let's say 20 years. You have 20 years to make as much money as you possibly can for the rest of your life and set your family up. Owners, their run, their rule over a team, for the most part, lasts a lot longer than that. So they're financially able to kind of have a down year or two, wait it out, and make up those mo- and make up that money as you go along. TV deals, when they have to renew, guess what? If more people are watching the game, those TV deals are going up. More fans are going to the ballpark. Guess what? Your revenue is going up. It's possible and definitely likely that the owners will make up the money and make up these losses if they resume, and they're only sport to resume, they're only sport to be played this summer, and have a, basically provide a beacon of hope, provide a light to this country that... You know what? We are starting to return to normal. You know what? We are starting to get there. And you know what? Changes are made. And baseball coming back at least is something we all can latch onto. We all can use that as a distraction. We all can watch. I mean, think about it. Everyone, I was on Twitter last night and every Sunday, the last five Sundays. The only thing being tweeted about is the last dance. I follow a ton of people. Every, you look at all this, the, uh, the trending, the hashtags that are trending. It's all last dance related. You know why? Because there's nothing else to watch. So we rarely watch something together as a group. Baseball could be that. Baseball returns, whether it's teams, whether it's players, whether it's MLB itself, will be all over social media, all over TVs. That's all Sports Center. That's all ESPN. That's all Fox Sports is going to be able to cover. Baseball. You'll be on every TV in America. So the owners will have a great, great, great chance to make up this lost revenue if they just suck it up. Take over for the team. Let the players keep their already sacrificed salary and get back on the field in 2020. That's what's more important, a short-term loss to build for a long-term gain. So that's for me. That's why I'm on the side of the players. I think the players are absolutely right in not trying to take and not wanting a second pay cut. They've made their sacrifice. They're the ones taking the risk. And the owners are, have the ability to make up the money in the long run more than the players who make up for their lost salary. So let's get your thoughts. Players versus owners. One side or another for Major League Baseball to return. Are you siding with the players? Are you siding with the owners? We'll get your thoughts. And when we come back, 2020 or apocalypse. Our, my cousin Beth uh, joined last week. It was definitely a trickier, trickier version of 2020 or apocalypse. 
but she received a lot of blowback, a lot of criticism from her family members. One of those family members will join us next. It is the Ryan Hickey Show, or it is the Morning Boys with Ryan Hickey right here on the World Art Sports Radio Network. Ah, maybe I'll just turn it on. Let's try that again. It is the Morning Boys with Ryan Hickey right here on the World Art Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the World Wide Sports Radio Network. It's time to wake up with the Morning Boys on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. Welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Here's the Morning Boys with you right here on this Monday morning. Appreciate you tuning in. Hopefully, everyone's having a great Monday. And hopefully, if we are a part of that, we're making that Monday just a little bit extra special for you. Um, we just talked about MLB owners versus players, right? One side is going to have to give or not if MLB wants to return in 2020. I'm side with the players. I think they've already sacrificed enough, and they have more to lose compared to the owners. So the owners are trying to have them take a second pay cut. Um, and right now the players are absolutely against it. I am totally with them. Totally backing the players for not wanting to take a second pay cut. So if you have any thoughts, Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, uh, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, read those thoughts. But it is 1020. On the East Coast, if you're a West Coast listener, it's 720, which means every single show we have 2020 or Apocalypse. And our contestant this week, it is a family feud. Her sister was on last week, scored two out of five, and was criticized heavily for her performance. So now, got to have her sister on to see if she can do any better. Best scored a two out of five. We'll see if Sarah can beat that. It is Sarah on the line with us. Sarah, what's going on this morning? Hello, how are you? We're doing good. How are you hanging? <laughs> living the dream here. Living the dream. I, I, well, aren't we all right at this point? But you, especially, yeah. you have some great yeah. plans going to the going to the beach house this weekend. Quarantine be damned. Coronavirus be damned. The shore is calling your name. So let's see if we can make you some money. How about that? The shore. If the shore is open, I am there. <laughs> Hopefully, we can make your pockets a little bit fatter. So, like you said, the right now the score to beat Lauren is she is the leaderboard four out of five. Nick. Um, had three out of five. So right now, those two are in the money. But your goal right now, not even to get the money, you just want to beat your sister Beth. That's it, huh? That's all I want. Like, I don't even care. As long as I get three out of five, I'm happy. All right. Well, I sh- too much smack, <laughs> and now I'm nervous. You you did. I, I, will, I was shocked. Last Monday, poor Beth. I wouldn't have brought her on if I knew, but the vitriol and the backlash <laughs> between my family, between my uh, our Aunt Patricia that's listening, um, between your mother, and between you. Shaming the Troncali name. There was that backlash I was not ready for. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you should have waited to. At least you came on before you criticized Beth. But, all right, the pressure is heavy. Two to five for you right now is the bar to beat. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Let's... I have my mom with me, too. <laughs> Maybe she'll help me. A little phone a friend. I guess we got we to put that as a feature if you want to phone a friend option. We'll see if, uh, <laughs> if Angie can help out. Number one. A convenience store in Texas started taking two-ply toilet paper and deplying it to make one-ply rolls to meet the heavy demand of toilet paper. 2020? Deplying it? Yeah, so like, you know, you take the two-ply and you basically you pull them apart so that the toilet paper is one-ply each. So that means basically you have double the amount of toilet paper. Have you, okay, have you seen the... the well, what, was, what was your answer? That's disturbing. That's like that's so fake. <laughs> oh, okay. It is. It is. It is the apocalypse. That's not happening. Um, defend the office. Dwight did that in one of the episodes where he took the the toilet paper 
and deplied it. But no, thankfully that is not happening so far. Um, no one you is taking toilet. <laughs> I got to get creative. That's, I feel like that's the hardest part of this segment. There's a lot of real stuff that, I mean, it's easy to get and seems unbelievable. The hard part is making the fake ones to make them sound real. So I try to take that reference. Um, but you sift it out and you are one for one. Sarah, you're halfway home. So at least tying Beth. So, yes. so there you go. Off to a good start. Number two. Face masks are being created with a small straw slot so you can sip on your cocktails with keeping your mask on. 2020 or apocalypse? That is 2020 because I would totally buy it. Damn. Well, you can go buy it. It's 2020. It's real. Ellen McComber <laughs> created this mask, and I guess she started small by making 40. Sold that initially, which, I mean, I feel like doesn't it defeat the entire purpose of the mask? If you have a, a hole right where your mouth is, why even put the mask on? Well, some people are dumb, and some people are alcoholic. Where would you fall in that category? Because you said you'd buy one. Um, I would say slightly alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> sure, your mom would love to hear that. Oh, that boy, that must uh, that must go over <laughs> very, very well, Aunt Joanne. That that is your daughter right there, uh, for sure. But, but Sarah, you are two for two. She should be proud. She <laughs> she should be crowd. Uh, she should be crowd. Safety be damned. Give me a mask with a straw side so I can have my damn drink and, and enjoy it too. But you <laughs> are two for two. You're in so far, you're crushing it. You are close to the money. You ready for number three? A Utah man was fined by his community because he displayed blue lights in a show of appreciation for all healthcare workers on the front line. 2020 or apocalypse? Mm, I'm gonna say 2020. Damn. I don't know if this is too easy to are, but you are right. 2020 Legacy Farms community out in Utah find this homeowner $50 because it was Christmas lights that are blue, and they are supposed to be taken down by March 1st. So coronavirus be damned, trying to show appreciation for the frontline workers. Wasn't, wasn't flying here. Doesn't, doesn't matter that these people on the front lines, Legacy Farms having none of it, because guess what? Whatever happens, those lights better be down by March 1st. Could you imagine that? Show a solitude, trying to rep, you know, support the people that are out there on the front lines, and you know, I would lose my mind if you got fined. But hey, that's Utah for you, I guess. Fifty dollars though, it's not that bad, I guess. No, I get. But I wonder if it's like a repeating. Like if you don't take it down, like all right, March second, fifty dollars. March third, fifty dollars. Yeah. I wonder if it's like a daily. Every day it's up. They find you more and more. Yeah. I don't know. Probably. <sighs> poor guy. Poor, poor guy. Um, but, Sarah, I mean, you're right in the money. You're tied for right now for second place, three for three. Hope these questions aren't too easy. But, hey, you're crushing it. You ready for number four to tie Lauren for first place? Are you ready? All right, I'm ready. Police pulled over and ticketed a man for speeding and reckless driving after the driver couldn't see how fast he was going or obey traffic signs because he's wearing a hazmat suit and the eye shield was blurry. I'm going to say that's fake. Damn. Damn. Four out of four. I'm really going to go broke really? here. That is, that is fake. I tried to make it sound real, but that did not happen. No one drove in a hazmat suit with the eye shield being too blurry where they didn't know how fast they were going or blowing through stop signs. So you are four out of four. Wow. F Facebook's already blowing up. So for, I'll say that. I just want to commend Beth because before you go, before you go for first place, your sister, who you crushed, absolutely crushed <laughs> last week, shame to the Troncali name, 
really ashamed to our family. We had some other family members chiming in, really just ridiculing Beth. Beth goes, making the family proud. She's proud of you. I, I, I think there's no sarcasm there, but I mean, hey, she's proud. So look at that. Some sister love. I have to redeem myself. You know, the family can't be embarrassed by one person, you know? Look, even your own sister can't even give you a nice comment without getting a backhanded compliment. That, uh, <laughs> I know that well. I say that. My family, I, I would say, it runs the same. But your poor mom is not happy. I'm going to kill her. I don't think she liked the alcohol comment, but hey, you know what? You got to live, man. Oh, no, she said I'm going to kill you. <laughs> safety, safety first. At least you're practicing, you know, the right, uh, the right rules down on the shore. But are you ready? So right now, you are tied for first. You can be all alone in first place, five for five. Are you ready? Ooh, I'm ready. All right, a teacher failed a student after he was caught cheating during a Zoom test by writing down the question on a piece of paper and held it to the camera for the rest of the class to see, but also the teacher saw. So that apocalypse or 2020? This one's hard. Um, I'm going to say 2020. Ooh, finally we got you thrown off. That is it. That is the apocalypse. Did not happen, um, at least by trying to cheat by writing the question down and seeing the, the, the teacher seeing it. So four to five, but you right now are tied for first place with Lauren. Sitting in the money. Those pockets going down to the Jersey Shore next week are going to be a little bit heavier when you started to. I'm impressed. I've been, um, I've been having pretty good luck with all of my games that I'm playing, so I'm good. That's true. We have been playing a lot of family games of late, whether it's left, right, center, whether it's a horse racing game. Wow, that's right. You Wow, I forgot about that. Your luck has been insane. Can you buy me some lotto tickets? <laughs> Holy cow. I feel like I'm not good with lottery tickets, but um, I will be down to play left, right, center anytime. <laughs> That, yeah, that, that is your game for sure. Well, Sarah, we appreciate you coming on. We appreciate you playing. Again, you're four to five. You're right now tied for first place. You're in the money right now. Um, so the, your right. luck just keeps on going. And uh, enjoy the shore this weekend. Hopefully, let us know. Report back how it is. Hopefully, everyone practices social distancing. Thanks so much. All right, Sarah, we appreciate it. Keep on crushing it. And she gets four to five. I hope these questions are hard. I really don't know how to gauge it. That's the only problem. Everyone, I, you know, everyone's always a critic. Questions are too easy. Questions are too hard. Hopefully, Sarah's were fair. She was very nervous because she said she didn't watch the news, so she didn't really uh, know what to expect. But she crushes it. Ties Lauren for first place with four out of five. And Nick still in second place, three out of five. So all three of those guys, Nick, Lauren, and now Sarah, we're in the money. So if you want to play, we're taking applicants, taking participants. Thursday, we'll have the next latest edition of 2020 or Apocalypse. And when we come back, we'll finish the show off. Ooh, got to turn the music off. Uh, when we come back, we will come back um, to finish the show. Again, we're taking your thoughts on MLB owners versus players. What, um, what side are you on as the players trying to prevent a second pay cut? The owners want that second pay cut to save themselves the money, so the billionaires want to save money. The millionaires don't want their salaries slashed again. Uh, what side are you on? We'll take your thoughts. And when we finish up, too, the NFL threw out a proposal on Friday afternoon trying to incentivize minority hirings of head coaches and of GMs. So we'll discuss why the intention is good. This has to be an issue. This is a problem that has to be fixed. But we're going about the wrong way. So that we'll discuss when the morning boys run and get right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's time to wake up with the morning boys. On Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. Welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We appreciate Sarah jumping on. Four out of five. She crushed it now. Tied with Lauren. 
for first place in 2020 or Apocalypse. And Nick still comfortably sitting in second place over there as well. All three of them are in the money. I got to make these questions a lot harder because if we have like four or five people tied for first, four or five people tied for second place, I mean, I'm going to be broke. I'm going to absolutely have to be broke and uh, not break some promises. Never do that. But let's just say that money may be a little bit slower to trickle out than, uh, than I'm hoping for. But like I said, congratulations to Sarah. A lot of comments going on Facebook, and she just says, jealousy to disease, get well soon. She is definitely feeling herself after getting four to five. Congratulations to her. So we're taking your thoughts. Again, um, the, we, before we got to 2020 or Apocalypse, we discussed whether um, MLB players or owners, which side are you on? Um, both are fighting for money. Players basically don't want a second pay cut. Um, owners want them to take a second pay cut to save themselves some money. I side with the players. Let's get your thoughts as well. Read those comments before we get out of here. Um, and before that, in the first hour, if you missed it, we discussed a lot about the last dance. We discussed a lot about really our final takeaways, right? Last slide with the last two episodes of the, uh, the last dance, episodes nine and 10, really put a bow on the final series between Utah and the Bulls as the Bulls won their sixth and final um, NBA Finals championship. And kind of looked at that because the Bulls, to me, had a lot of similarities compared to the Patriots. Both had six titles. Both had a legendary head coach in place through all six. Both had a legendary player in place and the best in their sport. Tom Brady for football, Michael Jordan for basketball. It's a lot of similarities, but I still took the Patriots dynasty over the Bulls because I value longevity. I think it's more impressive when you win over a two-decade span than over, um, over eight years. I'm not trying to diminish at all what the Bulls did because it's, it's so, so, so uh, impressive and so difficult to do. We talked about how basically you know, each time they win a title, the pressure gets is more ratcheted up. The scrutiny is more ratcheted up. And teams now are gearing to uh, hunt you down and take you down that, you know, each year it just becomes increasingly difficult to win. Um, with that said, I still think, you know, having a two-decade run in a league in the NFL that prides itself on parity, that for the most part does not have many dynasties in place, that the, the Patriots were able to do it um, with a rotating cast with um, – and again, with this hard schedule, with um, salary cap, with drafting, NFL does so many different ways in order to prevent dynasties. So I'd love to get your thoughts, again, either on Facebook, World Art Sports Radio Network, or uh, if you're on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. We do have a call. Errol, the czar himself of CBS or uh, of Worldwide Sports Radio Network, wants to weigh in. Patriots dynasty or Bulls dynasty? Errol, which way are you leaning, man? What's going on? Uh, well, I'm, I'm just going to tell you I'm not no czar. <laughs> I think, well, we introduced you last time. So you got to be the czar. We're going to keep this on. Is that what you're going to call me? Uh, Mr. Gratitude on the MMA shows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, I was listening to your take, and I'm sorry I have a little bit of hiccups, so bear with me. Listen, that's, um, that's, I have that every show. No, no worries. <laughs> Acid reflux. But, um, you know, you were saying that the, the different decades that the – New England Patriots won, and, and I understand what you're saying about Tom Brady being the best player in in the league. He wasn't the best player in the league all these years. He really wasn't. There were great players all around. It, it, you can argue your points that at one point Peyton Manning or Drew Brees was. So you can't really say that Tom Brady was the best player in the league the time that he was dominant. He was a great player, one of the top top three, top four, top five players in the league. Michael Jordan was the best player in the league in the 90s. Another thing is Michael Jordan could have won eight champ championships in a row if he didn't leave after 93. So do you, and, I was say, do you really think that? you really believe they would have won eight in a row if he doesn't leave? Oh, absolutely. I, uh, he, I, they, I, had, 
they matched up they matched up very very well against the Rockets and even Orlando Magic. If Michael Jordan actually was in condition for that series, they would have ran right through the Orlando Magic just like they did the the year after when they had Horace Grant. But you don't think that that break because you hear him especially in the documentary after they win in 1993. You know people some think people it's a pseudo suspension or a gambling suspension. I mean, I do buy the fact that he was mentally and emotionally just drained. Like, he talks about the pressure of when you win that final one, or the first one. Now, all of a sudden, you are the hunted. Everyone's coming after you. All that pressure that they had to win in 92, win in 93. They went through the East, some tough teams. To now, I think he legitimately needed a break. And you, I mean, obviously, you have his father. Like, there's so much going on in his life on and off the court. So, I, I personally think that if he left, I mean, him not leaving, no way they would have won eight in a row. Because no way that you don't get that me- you don't get mentally refreshed, and maybe let's say, if he stays in nineteen ninety three, I think they could win one or two more. You know, win ninety four, win ninety five. But there's no way they win at the back end of the nineties because you just see how both times the three peats he's mentally and emotionally exhausted. It's so hard to win one, two, three in a row to win eight in a row. I don't think that they would have done it. Uh, I do, and I, I think what their team was really built as as a championship competitive team, and you saw what Scottie Pippen did when Michael. Michael Jordan left, he became even better of a player. I, I think that they would have kept Horace Grant if Michael Jordan stayed there, and they would have won. I, Horace Grant was the rebounder. That's why they brought Dennis Rodman in in 95. It, it, he gave them that that, def- that defensive post type of player that is arguably one of the best rebounders and best defensive players to ever play the game. So I, I do believe, I really do believe they would have been won a championship. Eight championships in a row. And I was alive. I don't know if you were alive or you were a young guy when the Chicago Bulls were dominant. I actually watched them. I couldn't stand the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls, Chicago Bulls. But the talent that they had with Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan, they were the best one-two punch I've ever seen in the NBA in my time. And, and really throughout, you know, throughout all sports, you talk about uh, in hockey, it was Mario Lemieux and Yarmir Yager. Uh, in in basket, I mean, in, fo- in football at the time, uh, in the 90s, it was Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. Yep. You know, so it, it, it was, they were the best duo in all of professional sports. And Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player to ever play, one of the greatest athletes to ever play. And Michael Jordan had something, you know, has something just like Tom Brady has. And that's the, the, Go upon, uh, you know that that stardom or that just that that demon inside of him to get out there, and there was no such thing as losing to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan played in the '90s, where defense was completely different than it was in the game. Yep. It is in the game now. And when Tom Tom Brady came to the league, the league was transitioning into an offensive league. He didn't play in the time really with the Montana Steve Youngs. And, and of that time, where where they the game was more defensively, when you have uh, wide receivers getting held by, by cornerbacks, and and you can hover over uh, hover hover over wide receivers to tight ends and pull their jersey, you can't do that anymore. So it, it varied and it worked out for Tom Brady's growth as a player in that offense of Bill Belichick. Now I'm not taking anything away from the New England Patriots and how great they are. They're great, but they also play in the AFC. And I don't care what anybody says. The AFC has been weak for the last 20 years. They're in the easiest Come division. On. They're in the easiest division in sports. It's not even close. Just look at it. The Jets, and I'm a Jet fan. The Jets have not been good. They had the two two years with Rex Ryan, but and, and they had the one year with Mangine. Besides that, they have not been good since Bill Parcells. 
Okay, they've been terrible. I'll grow. You want me to? You want me to go through all the? the, the we we know the, the, the history. The Jets does not favor and, them and, kindly. And the Buffalo Bills. They, they've been stinky too. The Buffalo Bills. What have the Buffalo's Bills have done since the nineties? They've been terrible. They've been horrific. A horrific organization. And the Miami Dolphins. Are Are you kidding me? They're a joke. But here, here's where I'll push back on you. So the NFL. So right, the AFC East is not strong by any point, and I recognize That's that. Games, but. Ryan. That's six games. But, Errol, but with the NFL, the way they schedule it, you play where you finish in your division, you play those same teams in the rest of your conference. So if you finish in first place, you're playing the other first place teams in the AFC. It's not like you're playing this crappy, terrible schedule year in and year out. You are playing the teams that that match up against you year in and year out where you finish. So you finish in first place. Sure, the AFC stinks. But you're playing the best of the AFC South, the best of the AFC North, the best of the AFC West every single year. One game, Ryan. Three years. Three you're playing three no, three no, no. games. But that's but that's one game you're playing against those teams. That's three games. Just look at it. That's yeah. three games. That, that's, three out of sixteen is, is you know defense. almost a quarter of your schedule against Go look at their first record. Go place. look at the Patriots record over the last fifteen years in their division. It's ridiculous. It's incredible. It's ridiculous. It's not even close. But you don't give them. You don't give them credit for the consistency for constantly being good year in and year out. And again, no, the, the NFL. The NFL prides itself on parity. The NFL tries to do everything possible to make sure dynasties don't form. The schedule, the drafting, the salary cap, they don't want dynasties forming, and we haven't seen dynasties form. Not alone, not for this long. Two decades, Errol. Two decades they've won. They've been in first place. They've been in nine Super Bowls. They've basically been in the Super Bowl every other year for two decades. You can't take that away from them because they play in the no, AFC East. I'm not taking anything away from them. But look at what Michael Jordan did in the 90s in a league where they were the best players in basketball. The 90s were the best time for NBA basketball. You look at superstars, Hakeem Olajuwon, go up and down the rosters of all these teams, Carl Malone, John Stockton, Chris Mullen, Patrick Ewing, go up and down. This was the best best time for superstar basketball players. Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, there were so many great players. Michael Jordan played with the greatest players, against the greatest players of of all all time in my eyes in the NBA, some of those guys are in the top ten. I would say, I, I would say the guys that Michael Jordan played against were probably in the top ten. All right, so and, how about this? How about this? Where'd you rank Scottie Pippen? Top twenty-five? Um, Scottie would be in my top twenty because of how great he was defensively. You could put him on anybody, and Scottie was he was that other guy. And, and Scottie could have been the number one guy. You saw what he did in '94. When he took over and he was the number one guy, he averaged about 25, 26 points. Scotty Pippen could have been a number one guy, but I he agree. With Michael Jordan. But this is why he I bring that up. Michael so, Michael, I'm not taking anything from Michael Jordan. I, I'm not trying to diminish what the Bulls did. Michael Jordan played with a top 20 guy by his side for the entire run. Tom Brady, outside of you know that 20, two, let's say two and a half year gap from 07, 09 when he had Randy Moss, he didn't have a superstar. He didn't have a top 20 player in the league at any point, really, that's out of Randy Moss. I mean, to, to have a rotating cast for two decades, to basically bring in a guy like Wes Welker, bring in a guy like Julian Edelman, make them who they are today because of him, because of the way he, he was on offense. you got to give Tom Brady credit because he's the one who's making these guys. And again, I'm not trying to take anything from Michael Jordan. He played in a great and a tough era. But he had one of the top 20, in your mind, players of one all guy. time on his side. One guy. One but guy, two, that's almost half the team. At, two out of five in basketball. Go look at their team and how, how many transitional players that they have over that eight-year span. Look at the players that the Bulls brought in. Luke Longley, is he Hall of Fame? Is he a good player? No. Bill Cartwright, come on. Give me a break. He's yeah, but the Patriots did the same thing. 
with more it's, with more role players more over a longer period of time. Oh my God, Ryan, come on! Man. You have twenty-two Please. players on an NFL team that are starters, yeah. compared to five in the NBA. You have a two-decade run of the Patriots compared to eight years. But you can't compare football to basketball because you can't you can't compare apples to oranges. You really can't. And Michael Jordan was by far the the elite of the elite. You can't even put Tom Brady in the elite of the elite of what Michael Jordan what? did with a game of basketball. No. Tom, no, no. Tom Brady's not the, the are, biggest winner, the best Stern. winner in NFL did history. You hear, did you hear Daniel Stern at the end of the last episode? What did he say? He said that when Michael Jordan was in the league, there was over there was only 100 or 99 countries Oh, uh, I think it was like 80, basketball. yes. Yes. And then when Michael Jordan retired, there were over 200 countries that watched the game of basketball that were in – in, in taped into the game of basketball. So Michael Jordan transitioned the game. Transition, he's still transitioning the game right now. Everybody wants to be like Mike. Everybody. His sneakers are the biggest selling sneakers in the world still. And he's been out of basketball for 16 years. I'm not taking it away. I'm not taking anything away from what Tom Brady has done. Tom Brady is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player of all time. Aaron, now, but That's now, hold on. Now, you, now you're taking the conversation to a different. We're, we're not talking about global average. We're not talking oh, about talking impact about off the, the court. I'm talking about, I'm we're talking, talking about, about the, the when you're on the yeah, field, the in the league, in the time that you're playing, right? Because you have to compare eras to eras. You're 100 yeah. right. The 90s, probably one of the greatest eras with, with late in late 80s, early 90s, with all the the talent you had there. I'm not taking anything away from the Bulls, but to have a dynasty. And to have a sustained success in the NFL in a league that does not happen ever for two decades, that's why I, I, I give the Patriots more credit. I'm sorry. The Patriots cheated. Did you ever hear that saying? They did Spygate. They did all that stuff. There were so many things that came out from that organization. Have you ever heard anything from the Chicago Bulls of cheating? Come on. Ryan, the whole point here, and I'm not going to compare apples to oranges with the Chicago Bulls and the New England Patriots because, to me, they're two of the greatest teams in both professional sports. They're both great organizations. But to argue a point that the Chicago, that, that it was more impressive that the New England Patriots did what they did than the Chicago Bulls, go look at what the defenses were in those 90s against those 90s teams, those Chicago Bulls. You were getting thrown out into the audience, and there was no flagrant fouls. Michael Jordan was getting tossed around. If LeBron James played in the 90s, in the 90s, I mean, 90s basketball, LeBron James would have been hurt. He wouldn't have had the career that he had because, my, you know, LeBron James goes up and down the court with speed and all that other stuff. So, again, I'm not, I'm not arguing the point that it wasn't impressive what New England has done over the last couple of decades. It's unbelievable. Six, six Super Bowls. But, again, go look at the NBA and Eastern Conference when Michael Jordan played. That was the better conference. Go look at those teams, the Detroit Pistons, the New York Knicks, the Celtics. Go up and down the rosters of those teams in the East, and then you compare to the West from the, 90, from the 90s games of the NBA. Go compare them. It's not even close. When you go to the AFC and you've seen what Tom Brady's done in the AFC all those years, come on, Ryan. The AFC is garbage. It's been garbage. Arrow, the Chargers, arrow. The Chargers in the early 2000s were a great team. They were the number one team in their division for, what, three, four years with LaDainian Tomlinson and Phillip Rivers and those great defenses. Ask me how many championships they've won. Actually, ask me how many rounds they they won. So Errol. to tell me Errol. and argue the point that New England has been more impressive than than the the Chicago Bulls the way they dominated the night is ridiculous. Errol, this is, yeah. I'm going to finish up with this because you are this is, you have to also take into account the errors. You keep talking about defense. You can't play now. You know, defenses back then were so physical. But guess what? 
the Bulls teams were used to playing that way, and they built their, their team on defense and getting the tough bucket. Just like today's, okay, sure. So the NBA is more spaced out. The NFL, you, can, you have more leeway. The, NFL, uh, the receivers can't really get touched. The quarterback can't get touched. But guess what? Every single team is working with those circumstances. So whoever, whatever team takes advantage of the circumstances that they're dealt with are the ones that win year in and year out. And here's the, how about the Patriots? Keep talking about the AFC is so crappy. The Patriots, through two decades, have dethroned a lot of great dynasties and also took away teams that should have been dynasties. Should have been the next biggest dynasty. Greatest show on turf. Threw them out of the way. Now the Patriots <laughs> come on. Okay, yeah. Legion of Boom. That was supposed way. to be the next team. Young yeah, defense, Richard Sermon, Ryan, Russell they Wilson. They smoked the Bay, uh, the Broncos and Peyton Manning in that Super Bowl. They're going for two in a row. They were supposed to be the next hot team. They beat the they beat the Seahawks, and guess what? The Seahawks don't get back to the Super Bowl since. The next boy won. Everyone wants to be Sean McVay. Everyone wants to hire the next Sean McVay. They hide, they they hold that guy, the offensive genius, the guy who's supposed to change football to three points in the Super Bowl. They suffocate the Rams team. And guess they what? Suffocated the Rams team. They didn't have Gurley. Their best player throughout the season, one of the MVP candidates of that year. And guess what? In that year, in that uh, game before, they go into the Super Dome with Drew Brees, who and the Saints had a great year. Guess what? They won that game. Sands, uh, Todd Gurley, they had no problem yeah. going to the Dome and beating the Saints. And guess what? Uh, and the future goat, Patrick Mahomes, is the man. The and you saw what happened in the game. They shouldn't have won that game. Why? So don't get me. Don't get started. Don't get me started about the Rams and what they did and why they were in the Super Bowl. They shouldn't have even been in the Super Bowl. Errol, I hate to tell you. I hate to tell you. The the call was missed, but guess what? In overtime, guess who got the ball first? The Saints. Everyone, I don't know why everyone wants to throw this, this fact away. The Saints had the ball in overtime and the chance to win. You know what Drew Brees did? He threw an interception. So sure, miss call. Guess won. what? It should have went to overtime. That game should have never went to overtime. Plenty of plenty of teams get bad breaks year in and year out. You want you want to say this is one of the colossal misses? I'm not disagreeing, but let's not pretend the Saints were you know they didn't have another chance to still go and win the game. And, this, yeah, threw, and you brought up Seattle. And you brought up Seattle. Yep. If 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 uh, what's it? Pete Carroll wasn't a moron when they were on a three yard line and actually ran the ball, Marshawn Lynch, because I don't know what the hell he was thinking. And by the way, Richard Sherman came out last year stating that. He, Pete uh, Carroll was the reason why they lost that Super Bowl. They would have won that Super Bowl if they hand the ball off to Marshall Marshall Falk. I, I, I mean, Marshall uh, Marshawn Lynch. To me, it was absolutely ridiculous, and they shouldn't have won that game either. They shouldn't have won that game either. But they did. But okay, you can't make, you can't say you, they won. So don't come over here and tell me that oh, the Patriots are the greatest. They, they've done the greatest thing, and they they were the greatest dynasty. Uh, they were. How how are they not? They were not. Patrick were Holmes, not. Is Patrick Holmes the best player right now in football? Is he is he the next face of the NFL, if not already? Is he the best player in football? He's yeah. not the best player in football. Patrick Holmes is not player. the best player. Okay. He, no, he's not. Okay. No, he's Hold not. on. He wasn't the MVP last year. That's your opinion. I think he is. But guess what? Last year, this the Chiefs were all primed home playoff game, chance to go to the Super Bowl, really get Andy Reid the first Super Bowl. What the Patriots today went in there to Arrowhead and won. They've defeated every single up and coming dynasty games, one way or another and squashed them. Ryan, I'm going to get you a number right here. How many games has Kansas City won at home in the playoffs in the last 10 years? Uh, not a lot. One? Not two? a lot. So, not a lot. So, we're talking about the Kansas City Chiefs. But it's also, okay, but no, hold, way, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. When you have when you have a quarter like Patrick Holmes, that history goes out the window. Sure, they they don't win a lot. Sure, they, you know, the 90s, since what? Joe Montana's there, they won the last home game before 2018. But, but guess what? You have the coach. You have the, the quarterback. I mean, now, I mean, to make all these excuses why the Patriots haven't I'm been so impressive, it, it's just ludicrous. The, Two decades. Not, 
not, listen, I'm not, I'm not taking away how dominant the Patriots have been in the last two decades. But guess what? The Chicago Bulls were a more dominant organization, more dominant team. And you keep talking about the draft. Well, let's let's go to the draft. There are seven rounds in the NFL draft. You could find players in the sixth and seventh round. How many second round? There's only two rounds in the NBA draft. And by the way, when Michael Jordan was drafted in the 80s, there was only one round. So go to the two rounds that you've seen in the 90s and what, what the Chicago where the Chicago Bulls were drafting. Tell me, besides Tony Kukoc, who they drafted in those years that helped that team out. Scotty Pippen? Scotty Pippen was, first of all, Scotty Pippen was traded. First of all, he was traded from the Supersonics. He was drafted by the Seattle Supersonics, and the Chicago Bulls gave up draft picks and players that get Scottie Pippen to move up to get him. So, yeah. again, again, it's not that easy to do something like that. And Scottie Pippen was a Division II player that nobody expected to be as dominant as he was. So, but that's my point, uh, though. It's not easy to draft well. So when you're constantly the back of the draft, whether it's the Bulls, whether it's the Patriots, you still have to have the right, the right scouts in place in order to execute the draft to build your team. Now, but again, you're, you're looking at the NBA and the way the NBA is built, and, and I'm telling you, you talk about where the Patriots were drafting or where they're drafting, if you know this and everybody knows this. In the NFL, and you can see that in the draft, they, you find more players that are going to be NFL players for a significant amount of time in the third, the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round than you do in the first two rounds. Yeah, but so if that's me. the case, how come other teams aren't having the same success as the Patriots? How come year in and year out the Patriots are the only team that we've seen in our lifetime, that year in and year out, you know they're going to win 10 games no matter what. They're the only they're team with the, sustained they're success. They're in the easiest division in football. They're in the easiest, easiest. They win that, six first games, of all, also, that, that, it's not division, great. Ryan. That fluctuates every year. It all depends on how teams are. Really? To throw, yes, Come it does. Come on, Ryan. Some, Come on, Ryan. The NFC I East, you, I mean, wrong. the NFC West three years ago was not the toughest <laughs> division in football. Not even close. And now all of a sudden they have four Three three caliber playoff teams and a fringe team in the Cardinals. They're the toughest division of football right now. It fluctuates year in and year out. Sure, the AFC East for the most part has been down. I'm not taking again. I'm not trying to hype up the AFC East, but to still to to win all these games and to have to go to nine Super Bowls. All right, fine. They beat the AFC East. Great. Guess what? They still won playoff games. They still have gone year in and year out to win the playoffs and win playoff games and go. They get to nine Super Bowls, six titles. Ryan, how many games has the Patriots won away in the playoffs in the last ten years? Uh, not a lot, because they don't have to, because you win games the regular season, take, take care of that. Division, the division is easy to win. If they win five or six games, all they got to win is about seven or six games, and they win I mean, that's, one or two seasons. To minimize, two to minimize that is, is pretty, you know, Errol, come on now. No, it's come not on. minimized. Go look at the to win, oh, To say it's easy to win look seven the, games. Look at the Browns. Are the Browns good? Is Cincinnati good? Come on. We'll go up in the AFC right now in the last... 10 years. Yeah, so, okay, so the Browns and the, and the Browns, the, the Browns have been good for basically my entire lifetime. The Bengals have been, <laughs> have been mediocre at best. How come the Steelers don't have the same run? How come the Steelers haven't been in nine Super Bowls? How come the Steelers haven't had the same run of success with Mike Tomlin and Ben Roethlisberger that, uh, that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have? To make it, to, it's not that easy. I, I think you're trying to, like, it's not easy no, to win the NFL. First of all, you're, you're taking words out of my mouth. I never said so that. Two, but two of the, you just looked at the AFC South. Two, I mean, the AFC North. Two of those teams have not been good for a while. Okay, Denver, have they been good for a while? Three years, four years, have they been good? No. Not really. O- Oakland, have they been good for a while? So now are we minimizing the Chiefs? I'm just telling it, you, has Oakland been good for, for the last couple of years? They've been competent, but no. So now, Okay, so now, oh, all right. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to give you names. teams. How about Los Angeles? Have they been good? Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, they were good two years ago. They were good two years ago, and they die in the playoffs because they can't win a playoff game. So All now right, so are we, are we asking the Chiefs? Hold on, hold on. Let's go. 
Tennessee Titans before before last year have they been? Well, actually, the last two years they were decent. They Tom, were decent. I just want to know your points. So the show is about to end. Yeah, also, we, are, are we are we are we minimizing now the Chiefs? Uh, I'm not minimizing anything. The Chiefs, and again, you're going back to the Chiefs. Besides, before they got Patrick Mahomes, and I, again, I'm going to say this: even with Patrick Mahomes, they have a problem in playoff games, winning playoff games at home. They've been like this for years, even with Alex Smith. Even with Joe Montana, even with any quarterback they've ever had, they've had problems winning games at home. It, it's not it's not blind to see what they are. And the Patriots, if they have home field advantage and they have to play, you have to play the Patriots at home every single time, all the way to the play, all the way to Super Bowl. They have a significant advantage because significant. they take care of it of business in the regular season that no team has been able and to do. Well, they just Crappy beat the Chiefs. They beat the Chiefs two years ago, who now are the kings of the NFL on the road they're, in Arrowhead. They're the kings of the NFL this year. They're not going to be the kings of the NFL next year. I think that. I oh think wow! Kansas this City, is. I think the Kansas City Chiefs are flawed. Watch you. You'll watch them. Arrow. They'll win their division. They'll Arrow. win their division. Um, you can say whatever you want. They can win. They're going to probably win the division this year. They'll probably win eleven or twelve games. They're oh going to get into the playoffs, and they're going to still have their woes on the road, and, and even oh. after they start on the road at home. My so, God. Oh my God! What? What you are in that much in love with Patrick Mahomes because he won. He's he the best back. player in football. He came, he came back in three games in the playoffs. He came back in three games when they were losing. Okay, so again, you can argue your points. He is not the best player in the NFL. He is not. Oh absolutely my god. Not. Patrick Mahomes is not the best player in the MVP NFL. in his first year as a starter. Super Bowl oh, okay. MVP in his second year as a starter. Who okay. has a better resume than that right now? Who, who, who? Name me one player before we go. Who is a better player than Patrick Mahomes right now in the NFL? Well, you're talking about a quarterback. You want me to name some other positions that I would take sure. over him? Sure, anyone, okay. anyone right now. All right, so so let's go up and down over rosters. Oh. I would take. Please give me two players. We got to run two players that are better than Patrick two players Holmes. right now. I would take Joey Bosa. I would take Joe. Bo- Don't laugh because watch. Wow. Look what San Francisco. Look what San Francisco did last year in his rookie season. So no, Nick, Nick Bosa. Nick, Nick, Nick Bosa. So you take Nick I mean, Bosa. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Nick Bosa. Uh, I always mess up their names. Okay. Nick Bosa is a guy that I would take over him. Absolutely. And who, um, who's who's another? One more. We'll, we'll go one more um, here. Holy cow! I did not think we we're gonna get it. Go into this. Um, I, 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 you want to know something? I, I, if you were to tell me right now in that draft who I would take still over one or the other, I would take Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson's on. Uh, a worser team, a terrible offensive line, and go look at his numbers that he prepared to put up. I, I like Deshaun Watson over Patrick Mahomes. But Patrick Mahomes has, is stacked. Arrow, I wish I... Offensive linemen, and even their defense. You're killing me, because on Thursday, I was I saw this uh, tweet last week, what is your personal also, hottest takes? And I was going to save that for Thursday's show. I wish yeah. I knew this was... I would have brought you on Thursday. I mean, I have to bring you back on Thursday, but Absolutely. I was going to try to dive into that. But w- with that note, Arrow... <laughs> We do. I appreciate you calling in, man. That, that Absolutely, is uh, man. I love you, man. That, uh, I wanted to call that, That's a lot of hot fire. Uh, Errol, we appreciate it. <laughs> As you can see, Errol is not on board with me saying that the Patriots are a better dynasty um, than the Bulls. I still, I think, to me, Patriots are a better dynasty. Um, longevity, I think, matters for the most. Um, and quickly, I just want to read this comment before we get out of here. Nick, my guy Nick, uh, writes in talking about the owners versus players. He's on board with me. He's saying the players are absolutely right on this. Owners shot themselves in the foot. Um, only thing about player salaries and how many games are played. The fact that the revenue would be down since no deal out in fans um, and there obviously no concessions would be zero. So he's right. The, the owners weren't taking into account when they signed the agreement with the players to promote the salaries that fans weren't going to be allowed in the stands. They were assumed one point or another capacity, half capacity, quarter capacity, fans would be allowed in the stands. They didn't ever envision a scenario where a full season would be played without fans. 
So owners, that's on them. I mean, they're businessmen. They make deals all the time. Can't back out of it. So Nick is on my side as well um, with um, – with, uh, excuse me, with signing the players. And my Uncle Brian, I just want to throw this out quickly, he likes a sweatshirt. If you're watching on the stream, have a San Diego sweatshirt, bittersweet, so I was supposed to be in actually Cali this weekend. Obviously, those plans are curved because of coronavirus. Hopefully, we can get out there soon and see him. But Uncle Brian, shout out to you. Shout out to San Diego. Love that place. Hopefully, we'll be out there sooner rather than later. But that was just, that's it for the show. We finished <laughs> We finished on a hot streak there. Appreciate Eric for calling in and spitting some of that hot fire that he believes. Um, we do appreciate you tuning in. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.